Welcome to our Brave Feminine Leadership interview with Nicole Sheffield. I'm thrilled to have you here. This series, I get to dig into delicious conversations with global leaders, and I get to ask their perspective on life and leadership and ask them all about women in leadership. So, Nicole, fabulous to have you here with me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Mel. I'm looking forward to it. So I'm going to just touch on your bio briefly for people who haven't come across you before, and then we'll get into our conversation. So Nicole joined uh, West Farmers as Managing Director for One Digital in November 2021, leading the group's data and digital ecosystem. So she's got responsibility for the OnePass membership program, OneDataBusiness and Catch.com.au. Prior to that, Nicole held a number of executive roles in some of Australia's best-known businesses operating in retail, digital and media. So most recently, she was the Executive General Manager for Consumer, I can't even say it, Community and Consumer at Australia Post. Previous roles included Chief Digital Officer and Managing Director for Digital Networks at News Corp Australia and Chief Executive of News Life Media, Media, leading the Lifestyle Publishing Division. So Nicole's a regular speaker and commentator on business and digital and is a Director of Chief Executive Women, previously served as Chair of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation Advisory Council and Chair of the Interactive Advertising Bureau of Australia. So Nicole, as I said, wonderful to have you here. For anyone in our audience who hasn't had the pleasure of coming across you before, Let's get into your story and kick off with who are you as a human being? Oh, great question. So, look, I mean, I am a, I'm a loud human being. I'm a fun human being. I'm a mother of four. Um, I've had a career that I didn't really plan to have. I've been very fortunate. I was, I'm a failed lawyer. Um, I finished school and uh, uh, went into a law firm and the general counsel called me in and after a couple of weeks and said, you know what, um, you really are a rubbish lawyer, <laughs> but I think you, you're you really decisive and you're passionate and you would make a great person in business. So before you get too entrenched in your career, find a new opportunity. And I, it was quite, it was, I'll be forever grateful because that landed me into a, a role, a graduate leadership program at Telstra that then opened the whole world of um, digital and, and, and just opened up so many opportunities. So, you know, look, I, I've loved the career that I've had. I've loved leading change. I love transformation. I, I like really hard problems. Um, I certainly have that at West Farmers. But as a human being, I hope that I'm a good daughter and good mother and a, just a good human. I like to have fun as well. I love the description of I'm a loud human being um, as well. <laughs> loud and fun is where you lead off, which is fantastic. So, Okay, how did you feel when you got that feedback so early in your career about you might be crap at what you've chosen to do? Well, you know, I, I've i always loved feedback, so um, it was a little bit surprising because, you know, I think that, you know, I was a big debater at school and I did pretty well at school, so, you know, it just went surely you know, I would be a good lawyer, but actually so much of law is the detail and actually giving people advice and remaining independent. Yes. And that's certainly not my style. So that the, the challenge was I had to change who I was to succeed or I had to find somewhere where the skills that I had, I could succeed. And the feedback was given to me in a way that just made me realise, you know what, I, I want to be myself every day and be my best self. And at the time, way before the internet, you know, I sent out a 1,000 letters um, trying to get a job because it was really hard to get a job. And Telstra at the time had this amazing leadership program where they wanted someone that wasn't an engineer. So they had a lot of engineers 
So they didn't care what you graduated in as long as you were a university graduate and you fit, you did lots of psych testing and you fit fit their profile, you were going to get um, an opportunity to get on this leadership program. And it changed my life because I had six months in the contact centre, six months on the sales floor and uh, six months in marketing. And it was at that moment that I realised that it just didn't matter how great the technology is, it didn't matter how wonderful the product was or what the engineers built, if the customer couldn't use it, the customer didn't understand it, it wouldn't work. And so sitting there on that contact centre, listening to customers going, I can't see a red button. I can't use this sat nav or this phone. Or, you know, there was back in the day when we we all didn't have mobiles and they weren't intuitive. And I just remember, I, I still I tell that story all the time to all of my teams. It doesn't matter whether I was in media, at Australia Post, West Farmers, you can build great technology, but if customer can't use it, it won't work. And so to me, you know, that feedback was hard, but I knew when I, within three days of starting that new opportunity that I'd, I'd made the right choice. That's brilliant. And I love you talking about the contact centre that way, only because it's it's my heritage and the data in there is so rich when it comes yeah. to customer. Um, and yet for years I saw organisations ignore kind of what was going on in there. So how lovely that you kind of saw that, realised that, and then I guess you've sort of anchored your career around that to an extent, haven't you? Talk about, you know, where did you sort of go from there? How long were you at Telstra for? I was at Telstra for about six years. And when I I ended up um, product manager of Big Pond Broadband, so, you know, and I had a great time doing lots of different things at Telstra. Um, but like with a lot of younger people, you get ambitious and, and you, you're always seen as the graduate. And I was like, oh, you know, I want to lead a team of people. I want my own P&L. And, um, and so I, I then went into a very, very different role where I was general manager of online at Pacific, which was owned by Seven West. Um, and really it was at the, the sort of early or noughties where we knew the internet was going to be big but we knew that we needed content to actually get people to consume it and so this was uh, 9ms synergist being announced and seven west had the option or pacific at the time do they go and do a joint venture or do they go and build out their own assets and they decided to build their own assets so for me you know, I'd never really led people and I had to sort of bring a team together and build these websites and, uh, you know, we had so much fun. Um, but we also, it was tough because, the you know, the business didn't really understand why we were doing it and it was hard to work out how you're going to make money. Um, and so, you know, for me, the opportunity was to really think differently and what we realised was in the youth titles, which were very small magazine products, so K-Zone, Total Girl, like they were the they were the smaller magazines. You know, the new idea were the big magazines, but actually those magazines' websites were getting all the traffic because mm. kids were coming home from school, getting on mum and dad's computer, and what were they doing? <clears throat> they were playing games. Mm. And so I quickly realised <clears throat> that if we actually created those games and sold those games, that was actually how we are going to make money. And we did that and a few years later the publisher left for the youth titles and my CEO at the time called me in. I was seven and a half months pregnant with my first child and he said, you're making so much money for the websites. Can you do the same in the magazines? And I said, well, I don't know anything about magazines. He said, well, why don't I give them to you when you work it out? And I was like, um, have you noticed something? <laughs> seven and a half months pregnant. And he said, Nicole, with your passion and energy, if you, you know, if you come back, can you do it? And I said, I'd love to do it. And it was such a great opportunity. So for me, but again, it was who is the customer? 
How do we build a product that makes the customer want to use the product? And then, of course, what's the commercial layer to that? Um, it's got, got a bit of a cough, sorry. <laughs> So while you're doing that, I'll ask, and we can circle back around and keep going through the career, but, you know, you mentioned wanting to to own your own P&L early. Like, was that a conscious thing? Did you, you know, what 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 sat behind that? Because we both know how important that is uh, in terms of females moving through, particularly to CEO roles, but what was driving that? Um. <clears throat> Because Telstra was such a matrixed organisation at the time, um, even though I was product manager, I had all these people that I had to get um, approval for to for investments, but then also one person was responsible for the revenue, someone else. And I just realised the people with the power are the people that own the P&L. Like at the end of the day, it's really hard if you don't. So I, I was absolutely made a conscious decision that I needed to lead people and I needed to, to manage a P&L. And it could be a small one to begin with, but if I did not have that end-to-end responsibility, then it was really hard to, to, to know what levers to pull. Yeah. Um and it was it was the right decision, and I've had I mean I've had a great I had a great time I had you know nearly nine years at Seven West in various roles you know from you know Better Homes and Gardens where we made TV shows and lots of multi platform areas, but again I got to that point that after that sort of nine year period I realised I really needed to learn video because video was going to be the next thing that I thought was going to happen online that was going to really take. Custom consumers' attention and eyeballs. Yeah. Um, and Foxtel had been around for a very little a short time, but um, they were doing very well in sport and they were doing very well with kids, but they weren't really failing with um, lifestyle programming. And so I had the you know great opportunity to be the general manager of the lifestyle channels. And once again, it was at a time before Freeview was launching and the legal background was useful because I made sure we protected all our rights. So whilst there was Nine Go and all these others, no one was launching a lifestyle channel because they had no rights. And then I was able to negotiate. We bought formats such as Grand Designs Australia and Selling Houses. We launched channels such as Lifestyle Food, Lifestyle Home. And I fell in love with just that whole content piece and how you could, you know, move, you could do so much when you not you had the screen, but you had all, all the screens. So whether the screen is this screen, the TV screen, like how they all came together. And I could start to see that. Customers were moving between these screens. Um, and then, of course, Kim Williams was the CEO of Foxtel and he got uh, promoted to be the CEO of News Corp. So I remember when I sent him a text and said, oh, Kim, I'm going to miss you so much. You're wonderful. But really, print? And he sent me a text back going, thanks so much, Nicole, and guess what? You're coming with me. <laughs> so I... That's how I ended up uh, at News Corp, actually. Um, and it, he had he had obviously a number of businesses, but he had two specific businesses, news magazines and news digital media. And he wanted to merge the two because he wanted the digital assets to also be with the print assets. Yeah. And so the business was News Life Media and I became the CEO of that. Um, and that was, I mean, that was all about culture. You know, you had this amazing magazine business that was um, making a lot of money, but it was in decline. Yes. Um, and then you had this amazing digital business that was spending a lot of money, speak, thinking they were pretty cool, speaking in jargon, but actually they just there was no commercial yeah. future you could see. Um, and so how you brought them together really became one of culture. Um, and I love that 
opportunity. And then, of course, they all merged in together and I became the chief digital officer and then had the, you know, great privilege of of, of looking after the um, subscription um, business as well. And I did that for a decade it all up with all my roles at, at News Corp. And then I just realised that I needed to get out of media. I needed a change now and I had to take my skills and spent some time thinking about what that was. And it's really funny, Mel, because I had a pros and cons list and or I had a, like what I really wanted and what I what I didn't want. And top of the list was I wanted to be CEO of a technology company. I wanted it to be small um, so that I could learn you know, how I could grow yes. it and learn a lot and all these things. And what I didn't want was, you know, another executive level position in a really big Australian organisation where you kind of really hard to have, you know, da-da-da. And uh, so where did I end up? Australia Post. <laughs> but I think that the lesson for me there was even though you can have a vision, you shouldn't be fixed. Well, the number one thing that I wanted was to change industries and learn and grow. Yes. And what I realised is I, I don't want to be a CEO. I want to be a great CEO. And so a great CEO, you have to you have to learn. And the best thing I could do was go on this journey with Christine and work out how we were going to transform Australia Post. And I had this whole retail network when I didn't know anything about retail, this massive contact centre, this massive, you know, data and digital division, which was the one I obviously knew a lot about. And how, and then I had also responsibility for corporate responsibility and sustainability, which I was very passionate about. And so I had nearly four years there and we achieved a great deal. I learned a lot, um, always putting the customer at the heart of everything we did. But of course, I got to a point where it is really hard in a government organisation to create change at scale. Mm. And it's very, and we we had a lot of challenging times with the government of the time. And so for me, when West Farmers was looking to start a whole new division, which was completely different to what they had, and it's another great Australian iconic brand, I was like, I've got to, I've got to give it a go. Like that's just, that's just a wonderful opportunity. And hence it's been nearly 18 months and I'm I'm here. You are. I love the story um, that you shared with me actually around Australia Post where you actually weren't really in line for that role either. Yes, really funny. So I was I was at final stage interviews for an ASX listed a little a company and the recruiter at the time said, oh, look, you're, you're going to be in the same building and I really think you should meet Christine Holgate. This is the job. And I said, yeah, but I don't have any retail experience and I don't think I'd be very good in a government organisation. And and at the time he said, no, no, but Christine has looked at 20 people with all of the right great retail experience and she keeps saying, you know what, yeah, they're great retailers, but I need someone that's actually going to try and, you know, think differently about how to solve this problem. And so I walked into meeting Christine and said, listen, I, I want you to know I've got this, these other two jobs I'm in, you know, I'm really excited about. And uh, but I thought well, what we should mean. She goes, that's okay. You don't have any retail experience, so you're not right for this role. But we, I thought we should meet. And I, she she starts telling me about the opportunity, and I'm like, oh my god, Christine, twenty thousand employees, post offices. You know what? I don't think this is about leading retail. I think this is about leading a movement because yeah. you've got to go to inspire these people and build the vision, and that they've got to change. And as, as I'm talking, she's saying to me, you know what, you have to do this job. And I'm saying to her, you know what, I really want this job. <laughs> it, was just, it was that moment, you know, so there you go. But, yes, I was certainly not on the short list. So let's move to your to, to leadership now because I think you were really transparent with me um, in sharing that, you know, you probably had some some lessons to learn along the way from a leadership point of view. 
Um, you know, let's talk about your leadership. And I think one comment you made to me about not realizing other people didn't lean in when Sheryl Sandberg's book came out. So tell me, let's let's go there and talk about that space. Sure. So I mean, I've gosh, I mean, there's been lots of I've done a lot of um reflection. I've got an amazing coach. Uh, Meredith Kelly Carr, she's been with me since News Corp, so through three roles now. Um, and, you know, so I certainly would not say that I've got got it right, yeah. um, but I'm always trying to be better. Um, I mean, the, the leading in thing was probably, you know, I'm a, I'm a daughter of um, first-generation Australians and their English wasn't very good um, and I was the eldest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from a very young age, uh, like li- literally from the age of eight or nine, they'd be sitting there going, They'd get the telephone bill and they'd look, they go, oh, that's his rubbish. I did not ring Paul at this time. You ring them. So I'd be ringing telecom and going, hello, this is our address. So from a very young age, I had a voice and I had to lean in and I had to have it. So it was only when I saw, when I read Cheryl Sandberg's book and then I started to talk to a lot of friends of mine, you know, even women on CW and they completely like they feel having a voice at the table is hard and leaning in is something that they have to consciously do that made me realize wow that hasn't been like an issue for me but that's probably because of that background but interestingly you know what I found was in in certain cultures like for example at News Corp it's a brilliant place when it comes to performance but it's performance at any cost. Like it is perform, perform, perform. So what ends up happening is you don't even realise you put your armour on every day and you go and you're going to win and we're going to smash it and we're going and, to... And so over time you don't even realise you become that person. And for me that was why I, I got went to, you know, got a coach, found Meredith. Um, actually we were both on the CEW board together and she probably wasn't the person that I would have thought. We didn't really connect as naturally. But I needed someone to say, I want to be a different type of leader. I need to be a better person and I need to lean into my next opportunity. I can't be that aggressive yet. It's really funny. I thought I had done the work on myself to actually learn how to, you know, listen more and how to engage my team in a different way, not just in a performance-driven way but with more empathy um, and yet, I think maybe three or four months after starting at Australia Post, Christine called me in the office and she said, "You've got to, you've got to stop with your aggressive media way." And I said, "Are you kidding me? I, I'm, I think I'm like at twenty percent of who I was." And she said, "A lot of people are finding it really intimidating." And I just said, "But we're writing goals, like, and I'm holding people to account. Like, isn't that not?" She's like, "Yeah, but in this culture." They haven't, that's not, you know, they, they've they been here a long time and, you know, the average tenure of my employee at Australia Post was 27 years. That was the average. Yes. You know, I was signing 50-year service at least 20 a, a month, right? So creating change and leading in that type of environment, completely different. And so I think, you know, for me that's, it's just constantly learning, understanding who I am, and also being very clear, you know, what is the environment you're operating in and how do you be your best self but bring out the best in others to actually still achieve the goal because you've still got to achieve what you set out to do. Let me take a brief pause from listening to the podcast for a minute just to check in and see if the conversation's inspiring any new thoughts or any new reflections for you. I hear so often from people in our audience, largely successful and senior professionals, 
professional women, how much they are craving some inspiration into their lives. I would just love to share with you, if you're looking for some, then come and sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. You can find a link in the show notes at the end of the show. Now let's get back to the podcast. So how do you check that? How do you check yourself as you navigate through all these different environments? Like what have you learned to do? Because you're now in a different space again. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And this is a very different environment because you're in a top 10 ASX listed and it's, it's all about performance, but it's very strong values-based culture. So it isn't it is perform a certain way. Um, so I, I think you just have to be really aware of it. I mean, for me, you know, um, you know, I, I build relate good relationships with my colleagues. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was younger and at News Corp, your team was who you focused on and everyone else around you was getting in the way and actually you were almost competing with them. And that was kind of how the culture was set up. Because you think about it, Heritage is newspapers, you know, and you know, Herald Sun beats the Australian or, you know, like it's always this kind of environment. And all of a sudden, you know, it's very different. Like even though you are in, responsible for your particular business, actually your relationships with your colleagues are critical and they are really vital to your success and how you deliver. So you spend a lot of time thinking about how can I help them achieve their goals? Yeah. And by their success is my success. Um, you know, and I have a little mantra at West Farmers, which is start with the numbers, end with the numbers. Nice. Because the numbers is the language they understand. And you can have a great narrative and I love the story and I can say, look, what we digital can do this and drive that. But we've got to start off with this is the current market. This is the addressable market. This is where we need and this is this is how I think we're going to grow that. But this is the this is where I think we're going to end. And so that's been quite a different language because I don't think at Australia Post we talked about the numbers at all. Like in that culture, it was all about the communities that you served and how you were helping regional Australia and how you were just getting um, delivering for the nation. But actually, you know, and, and obviously they're going through their own cost challenges now. That doesn't surprise me because it's really easy in that environment for the cost to get out of control. So mm-hmm. every environment has a different thing. You, I mean, for me, it really just is about understanding that, having good relationships with your colleagues, having a good coach, having good mentors and sponsors and just a network of people that you can turn to um, and just remembering that it's a process and it's a journey and it takes time, you know. Um, I mean, I'm 18 months in and I sometimes feel like I'm only three months in. This is something I'm learning every day, you know. How amazing. To be in that space, it's full on and it's hard but amazing because you're growing, aren't you, at the same time. I love what you said about the numbers just then as well, right, because the numbers don't lie and the ability to tell a story through the numbers and engage people I think is critical for senior leaders. And I see so many people who don't contribute in meetings because they're worried they're going to look silly, they've missed something in the numbers or something. Do you see that? And, yeah, I mean, did you have to overcome that? Did you Do you help other people overcome that? What are your thoughts on that whole sort of subject? Look, it it doesn't come as naturally to me as, um, you know, the written word or the, you know, coming out with the vision or coming out with the, you know, you know, I'm much, I love being with people. So that's probably more my leadership style. So I've had to work at it. I have, I have to work at it. You've got to have a good CFO. You've got to be able to ring them and say, have I read this the right way? I'm, I'm, you know, you've got to put time in your diary to do it. 
because yeah. um, it's much more fun to, for me to go into, you know, a, a stand-up where the tech team has gone and done another sprint and they've gone and built another feature and we can talk about that. But actually that's their job to do that. My job is to actually make sure that when we get that to market, we're going to achieve the, the goals that we've done and everyone understands that that isn't just tech development for you know development state that's actually got to have an outcome and customers got to use it and that we've got to try and get that you know ecosystem flywheel going which is really critical um but yeah I've had to work at it and I have so many people that come to me and say I don't know why I'm just not connecting to the culture I'm just not quite working out why they're not listening to me because I've got these great ideas and I said well if you, they're not hearing you, then you've got to sort of understand, try and work out what their language is because, mm-hmm. you know, every organisation tends to have a language that works and you don't even realise it. But, you know, when you look back, you say, wow, you know, um, it, it's it's re- every, each organisation just has to have that cultural piece that's just critical and, and working that out as quickly as possible and then making sure that you can be your best self in that environment, I think is really important. Was there an aha moment in your career where you, I mean, it sounds like you've always been pretty intentional about your career, but was there a a point where you went, okay, I'm putting my foot down in in this direction? Um, I mean, look, I think I, I think I'm probably in that moment now, actually. Yeah. Like I really am. It's 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 an extraordinary opportunity. But you know, you're working with the, you know, my colleagues are extraordinary. I mean, Bunnings is a phenomenal business. Kmart is a phenomenal business. Like you're talking about iconic Australian companies that have been around for like 120 years. Um, and you're trying to prove to them that they're part of a subscription program which is going to build out an ecosystem that is going to increase customer lifetime value which is stuff that we wouldn't have even spoken about five years ago. But we can see over the horizon that we need to do that because the shopper of the future um, wants to shop where they want to shop and they might start their journey on here and then end up in a bunning store. or but, but the following week they're actually just going to be doing their journey and, you know, how you're making sure that you're part of that, um, the rhythm of their life is really important. And to stay in the rhythm of their life when you, um, you know, we think our brands and products and businesses are really important. Actually, in a 24-hour day, the most important thing that a customer has is time. Yes. And if you got, you know, you give them back time, it's just as almost as good as giving them money because they want value, but they want speed, they want service, and they need to trust you. We already have the trust. But we don't have the trust as much in the, in the digital environment and we've got big global competitors that are unbelievably, you know, the investment they're going to put into that, into their business is phenomenal and they're unbelievably focused on this market. Mm-hmm. So whether it's Amazon, whether it's Netflix, whether it's Facebook or Google, like we as Australian businesses can't compete. Mm-hmm. So therefore don't try and do what they do, do what you do. But do what you do in, in, in this way. So for us, you know, we have got to be a great omnichannel retailer. Mm-hmm. So our success has to be just as much as what's happening for the customer in store as it is online or on, the, on, on their mobile and, and understanding how that ecosystem gets built 
is really critical, but it's a big, you know, it's aha moment is I feel like I get a lot of them at the moment because it's just like, aha, okay, because no one's got a crystal ball. No one's got an answer. I can't sit there and say this is what I think it's going to be. But what I can say is that I, I, you know, it goes back to that contact centre and sitting there in Ningi in Queensland answering call after call and going, my God, no one can use this product. No one, everyone is so, they're all, and then meeting with the engineering team saying, look at what all the contacts we've got. It's no different. How are people using our products today? How are they getting what they need? How do we just be more and more efficient? Because there's a new generation coming and they just want quick swipes. They want, you know, um, to get it when they get it. They want product recommenders that are going to predict through AI what they actually already don't have. You know, like it's all of that personalization. That's just really complex to do in, you know, businesses that are 120 years old that have legacy point of sale systems, legacy databases, but, you know, they're really successful. So you can't disrupt it too much because you don't want to take away the magic of what they do do. So it's just it's a it's a really fine line. How do you fill yourself up? And I mean, you know, to because you're a lot of what you do in your role is also so creative and future focused. And you know, how do you fill yourself up to um, to keep generating these ideas and keep doing what you're doing? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, I love a walk. So I walk every morning, get up at 5am, at least do two hours. Like, so for me, I listen to podcasts, listen to your podcasts. um, And I I just, I I get inspired by other people. I love people's stories. I love, you know, um, just how other people solve problems. Um, But I also have great teams and learn from them, right? I spend a lot of time just trying to see where they think we're at. Um, Colleagues, you know, I just... Uh, I reach out and I, 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 I if I have a thought bubble, I say I've got a thought bubble um, so people know it's not an answer because sometimes when you are a leader, they think, oh, that she wants us to go there. Well, she's like, this is just a thought bubble, but what if we did this? And then the team starts, you know, for me that I, I get, I love people and I, and for me, I, I get a lot of, you know, um, good uh, creative juices from, from that collaboration and that co-creation. What do you think are the biggest challenges for leaders right now? Oh, well, I think right now um, there are so many challenges because we've come out of a, you know, COVID world where we're trying to get used to a hybrid world, but actually we've got a high inflationary period, so the cost of doing business is going up. Um, we Potentially the cost of labour will go up significantly this year, um, and yet you know, with those inflationary pressures, you've got a lot of households that are doing it tough. So, um, and some of those households are people in your team. You may not know about it, but they really need that certainty of work, the certainty of hours. Um, They're finding the challenge of coming back into the workplace psychologically, um, you know, uh, difficult. And so it's balancing all of those nuances when, again, you don't have that crystal ball and making sure that, uh, you can communicate the vision that you can actually really take people on the journey, um, understand the importance of coming together, getting back into the office so that we can actually build our team um, and co-create. Uh, but for me, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. We're going through a really tough time and sometimes it feels like it's all very short term. You know, whether you're, you know, next um 
you know, cycle of results to the next election, to the next, you know, budget period. It just feels like we we, we used to have a lot bigger, you know, we have a three to five year vision and we'd be patient to wait for that. We're no longer patient. Like we have, it's all very short term. So I think as leaders, it's balancing the short term without losing sight of what the longer term opportunity is. Mm. Incredible. Why why do we not have more female CEOs? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, for me, um, I'm a very passionate Chief Executive Women um, member and uh, I've spent a long time, I think over a decade now, and I think one of the biggest challenges we've, we've had is keeping women in the workforce. And, and that's because childcare just hasn't been there. Like, you know, I have four children. I remember... You know, Ian, when he gave me that opportunity to become a publisher, the condition back then was, can you come back in three months? And I said, sure, but I'm only going to do three days a week, which he said, fine, but only if, you know, we'll see how the business goes and we'll track it. Now, this was before, I think we we just got Blackberries. So, you know, I wasn't necessarily in touch with the office, but I had a good team of people and I was able to go back. Now, back then we didn't get paid childcare, so sorry, paid maternity leave, so it was just maternity leave. So financially my husband and I, it made sense for me to come back. But I had so many women over the years that come back and they'd be three days and I'd say, oh, I've got this great job but it's four days a week and they go, oh, yeah, but if I put my two children in childcare four days, just with that increase it doesn't cover the cost. And you yes. go, but this is an opportunity, you know. So I think the biggest challenge is we've got, 60% of the wonderful women coming out of university or people coming out of university are women, and yet by between the ages of 30 and 40, you know, 60% of the leaders are male. And what happens is, you know, that that's the childbearing years. So I think we've got to make it better. I think the other thing that I really noticed during COVID and I really held on to this type because we were doing a lot remotely, people were doing part-time or flexible, I should say, work and leading people. Mm-hmm. And so what a lot of my girlfriends that were in the same situation stayed in the workforce, but they were leading projects. Mm-hmm. Now, project work is really important, but it tends to be quite isolating and it's, just, you know, it's just you're just running something for a period of time, but you don't really lead a team or lead a P&L. And so I always champion as many women as possible. Try and stay in whichever way works for you and your family. Stay in, stay connected, but then put your hand up for those opportunities that mean that you can lead people. And I really, I've seen that over the last couple of years. And I've said to everybody, let's hold on to this because just because you're flexible, you know, working flexibly doesn't mean you can't lead a team or lead a PL. Yeah. Um, but you know, we've got a long way to go. But I'm just, I'm so excited by the fact that we've got Vicky Brady, CEO of Telstra. We've got Leah um, Wicked is CEO of Coles. Yeah. You know, we've got Shamara Lukramanyaki has now been, what, three years and doing an insanely great job as CEO of Macquarie Bank. So we are slowly starting to see these, you know, great women come through and, and, and then there's many more. But it's still a fraction of what it needs to be. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic that we will get there. Fantastic. Okay, so my final question that I ask everybody is, what does brave feminine leadership mean to you and do you think it needs to change? So I think um, I thought about this a lot actually over the last couple of days. Um, so I think brave feminine leadership to me 
means being true to yourself and actually making sure that you have a voice, but that you um, actually, you know, I had a, well, I still do, she's still my my mentor, but it's been, you know, a few years. I worked for a lady called Judy Sladier, who's, who's who is phenomenal, um, many, many years ago back at Telstra, and she gave me lots of opportunities. And she used to always say, back then I was Nikki, Nikki, as long as you've got one nostril above water, then you're still breathing. But if your head's above water and you're able to swim, you need to get out because it's too easy. You know, you, you you can like, you know what I mean? So I've always had this, I've always remembered that. I've always gone, I've only got, like I've only got one nostril above water right now. Like I do feel like sometimes I'm drowning. But actually that's brave feminine leadership. Actually put yourself in the situation where if your head's above water, get to the next challenge, the next opportunity. I think it was often seen as having a seat at the table the same as the boys, yeah. right? So, and that was what brave feminine leadership. I would turn up, but I was just really happy to have a seat at the table, but I was emulating this environment that had, you know, happened over years and years. I think that's what has changed. We actually have to turn up as our authentic selves. We've got different styles of leadership, um, different things to contribute, uh, equally important, Um and we've got to do it together, men and women. And, and you know, I think for me um, or, you know, whoever, however you identify yourself, like it's just really important. It's a really important time. I think for leaders we're going through a really, you know, interesting couple of years ahead for us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be more productive, productive as a country and more successful if we do it together. Nicole Sheffield, wonderful to have you add your voice to the conversation and I'll forever picture you now in a somewhat happy place with one nostril. Just, just. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Mel. And that was the end of another podcast conversation. So thank you so much for listening to the episode today. I often hear from leaders who felt inspired by the conversations and are ready to put themselves first. And so I wanted to take a brief moment just to share how I've helped hundreds of women just like you become crystal clear on the exact steps they should be following right now to lead an intentional and sustainable life without second guessing themselves so that they can maximize their influence and impact. I've put some details into the show notes and there's a link there where you can find out some more about our signature Elevate and Influence program. While you're there, take the time to sign up for our Sunday inspiration email series. Have a brilliant day.